Come to me and listen and act on my words. <clears throat> if you do that, then you're like a very wise man who built his house upon a rock. But anyone who listens to what I say and does nothing about it is, is like a stupid man who built his house upon the sand. Build your life like you build a house on deep foundations. Don't just take the easy way, take the hard way. Listen to my words. Let them go deeper and deeper. Open your hearts and minds to the truth. Be ready for the day when trouble comes, when difficulties arise and terrible storms rage all around you. House on the Rock. Hey, Kairos. It is so good to see you. Thanks so much for just being so flexible and adaptable. That was kind of crazy when the fire alarm went off. If you're joining us in Iowa City because you're live streaming, uh, we had the fire alarm go off tonight, and we left, and all these students are just perfect about it. You guys are great. Go ahead and give yourself just a nice pat on the back and turn to the person next to you and say, you're the best. Wow. You really are. And if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and look at that camera right there and say, hi, Iowa City, on the count of three. One, two, three. We're starting a brand new series tonight. It's called Parables, and it's stories by Jesus. That was a clip from a really old movie called The Miracle Maker. And in The Miracle Maker, they specifically highlight some of the stories that Jesus told and pointed to. When Jesus wanted to prove a point, Jesus would tell a story, and he was a master storyteller. And while these stories have really simple points, they have very deep meanings that we see throughout the themes of all of Scripture. And so we're going to be hopping into that, and tonight we're specifically talking about our foundations. You heard about it like this in the Bible reading and also in that clip. It says this in the book of Luke, chapter 6. It says, listen to me, and those who listen to me, it says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays, the and lays the foundation on solid rock. This is really, really practical. Like, I don't think that we could spell it out much easier. Right here, I can't lift it. We have a solid rock. And that's the point, right? It's not going anywhere. If I were to kick it, I would be the one who got hurt. But then Jesus continues. He says, somebody who doesn't listen to my teachings, anyone who hears and doesn't obey on the next screen, is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Turn to the person next to you say, heap of ruins, man. So right here, I've got some sand, right? And again, it's, it's just really practical. The issue with the sand is that, that there's no consistency. Just simply dropping it, it cannot maintain its shape. And so it's not if the rain comes, if the storm, storm comes. It is when the rain, when the storm comes, when the air conditioning kicks on. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Anybody hear that at that moment? Come on. It won't stay consistent. It'll break apart. What's Jesus talking about when he's telling this story? 
Like he's telling us, I want your life to have consistency. I want it to be solid like a rock. I want you to build it on the right stuff. He's saying, I want you to have a life of integrity. This is a story about integrity. And while Jesus doesn't actually say the word integrity, he, he's talking about it. Turn to the person next to you and say, integrity. integrity. A lot of us know what integrity means. It's the quality of being honest and moral uprightness. But actually, the root of the word and the original meaning of the word is actually the secondary definition, which is the state of being whole and undivided. It is to be consistent. I remember when my sister started dating her now husband. His name is Dan. I call him Dr. Dan because um, he's a pediatrician at the University of Iowa. He's such an awesome guy. And I remember asking her, Christy, what do you like about Dan? And she said something that stood out to me. She said, he's consistent. And I thought, what a great thing to be. And as her older brother, I felt really secure in that, to be consistent. So then when I started dating my wife, I'm like, I want to be consistent. I don't want to be inconsistent. Now, Jesus doesn't say the word integrity. He doesn't specifically say consistency. But the reason why we know he's talking about this is because he says the exact opposite of what integrity and consistency are. Here's what he says just before the reading for tonight. In order to understand this story, it's good if we back up and we see what he was talking about right before he told this story. He said, don't judge others. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can't judge me. You can't. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And if you think that's quite the funny picture, good, it should be. But then Jesus follows it up with this word that is the opposite of integrity. It is the opposite of consistency. It is hypocrite. Can you imagine Jesus sitting on a mountain teaching this story to everybody, and he just shouts at everyone, hypocrite! Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be a hypocrite. Now, there's something that's really interesting about this word. The Greek word for hypocrite is actually very similar to the word that you just said now, hypocrite. It, it looks like this. It's hypocrites. Everyone say, hypocrites. You Greek scholars. Now, what it literally means is an actor. Isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus is not saying that being an actor is bad, but what he is saying that what is good on the stage is not good for real life. Every single year for Vacation Bible School, I get to play different parts, and it's kind of fun. I get to play an astronaut. I get to play a cowboy. I get to play, a, I don't know what else I've played, but lots of fun different things. But the interesting thing is, is every single time I go out, and after I tell myself, acting is my life, get this right, the kids will judge you. I'm kidding, I don't go there. But before I go out there, no matter how I'm feeling, I have to go out and I have to match that part. But here's the truth. An actor, their part does not match their heart. And it's just convenient that that rhymes, doesn't it? An actor's part does not match their heart. And while that's fine for life on the stage, it is very, very sad for real life. Jesus wants us to have real life. So what does it mean to be a hypocrite? It's not necessarily the person who's out there and says, I'm a really good person. I'm a Christian. I don't make mistakes. I try to follow God's rules. I don't sin. But then behind closed doors, we've got really, really bad habits. It's not necessarily that. I mean, it is, but it's not necessarily that. To be a hypocrite is simply to be a pretender. And what does pretending look like? A couple of weeks ago, I told you a statistic about imposter syndrome, and I have to actually update it because I found an updated study on imposter syndrome. 
82% of college students experience imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome? To refresh on that, imposter syndrome is this deep-seated anxiety that tells you that the person that other people perceive you to be is a fake. 82% of college students feel like they have to pretend. 82% of college students feel like they have to put on a mask. Back in those days when Jesus was telling this story and he's talking about hypocrites and he's talking about actors, he would actually bring them to a state or he would bring them into a picture about the theater back in those days. And in the ancient Greek and Roman theater, the actors would go up on stage and they would literally wear masks that showed emotions. So somebody would put on a mask that had a smile. Somebody would put on a mask that had a sad face. Somebody would put on a mask that had an angry face. And again, it didn't matter what was in their heart. It mattered what their part called for. And so they would put on a mask. And no matter how that actor was feeling before, they would go out and wear the mask and present themselves like that. And I think this is exactly what imposter syndrome is. So many of us want to believe I can be consistent, I can be the same, I'm never ranging and I'm never changing. I had a rude awakening that I am a changer, that things are changing, that I can't just keep on having the same things forever this past week. Um, two weeks ago, I was here at Kairos. Last week, I wasn't here. Last week, I was in Denmark, which was really cool. Um, my wife and I were out there. I was speaking at a conference there. It's no big deal. I'm international. But anyway, so we were going to fly out on Friday. We get to the airport, and right before we're about to get on a plane that's going to take us to a plane that's going to take us to a plane that's going to take us to Europe. Got to love living in Des Moines or the Des Moines area, right? You know what I'm saying? They tell me, you can't go. And I'm like, Why? I mean, really, why? We planned a lot for this. And they said, your passport expires within 90 days. And if you travel to Europe, you can't, come, you can't go to Europe if your passport expires within 90 days of your return date. And if any one of you comes up to me after the service today and says, I knew that, I will not speak to you. I will walk away. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm not ready to receive criticism on it, all right? It was this scary, horrible, heart-dropping feeling because in my mind, I'm like, what's it matter? This is me, and this is who I will always be. <laughs> that is Danny Householder, Daniel Eric Householder at 20 years old. Uh, that, that's just what I looked like. And they told me, no, you need to go update this passport. So instead of being in Rome, which is where we were going to be first, my wife and I found ourselves in El Paso, Texas, home of the miners. Go UTEP, if you know what I mean. And I found myself in a passport agency on that Monday morning, and I'm surrounded by people. I tell you what, if you ever want to know what chaos looks like, if you want to know what suffering looks like, go into a passport agency where people are trying to get their passports figured out so they can get on a plane that day to leave the country. I get to the passport agency at 7.30 in the morning. We have to get on a plane to get to Europe at 1.30 in the afternoon. It's chaos in there. At one point, I have this Tarzan-looking zookeeper crying on my shoulder. I'm not kidding. He said, my zoo is on the line for $4,000 if I don't get this figured out. Like you and me both, man. I mean, <laughs> afterward, he grabbed my shoulder and he goes, thanks for getting me through that. I'm like, I had no choice. But it's funny. I'm sitting there thinking, it's pointless. Why am I here? I'm still the same. Nothing's changed about me. I get my new passport back in the nick of time, and I look like this. You might call it a glow up. <laughs> I will say on this side, I look like I've committed a crime. On this side, I look like I've committed a crime, and I'm happy about it. 
Like, the reality is, is I've, I've changed. Like, thank God I've changed. Like, I, I haven't stayed consistent. And that picture is just representative of lots of different changes that have happened in my life over the last 10 years. Highs, lows, and everything in between. I have changed. And to say that I haven't is to act apart. It's not true about what I've experienced in my heart. It's okay that you've changed. It's okay that you have a range of emotions. It's okay that you have a range of experiences. It's okay that you don't always act, that you don't always act consistently either. It's okay that sometimes you're a hypocrite. Because here's the truth. When you read the stories about Jesus, Jesus was rarely frustrated with sinners, with hypocrites. But he was frequently frustrated with those who pretended like they weren't. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. I mean, really, let's go back to the imagery that Jesus is pointing out before his story about the strong foundation. He said, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? Again, if this is bringing about a funny story for you, good. I think Jesus is actually a little bit dry in his sense of humor sometimes. I mean, my goodness, is this logical? Your friend has a speck in their eye and you have a log in yours. Now, there are a few problems with this. The first is when you have something in your own eye, you feel it, but you don't see it, do you? Anybody here wear contacts? I tell you what, putting contacts on is simultaneously the best and worst part of my day. It's the best part of my day because I can finally see. It's the worst part of my day because I'm putting lenses, plastic, glass in my eye, and I'm just trusting that it's not going to hurt me someday. Just little anxieties that live in my head. And as I'm putting it in, like one out of every five days, there's a speck of dust between my contact and my eye. And I can't see it, but I can feel it, and I can't get rid of it. Now, imagine if someone came up to me and said, here, Danny, let me fix that for you. It'd be horrible, right? Because they don't know what I'm feeling. They don't know what I'm experiencing. And so oftentimes we run up to somebody with the speck in their eye, completely oblivious to the log in our own eye. And we're like, here, let me fix that. We brought a screwdriver to pull the contact out of their eye. Like, that's this silly, ridiculous story. But I think that Jesus is proving a great and important point. We're not going to know how to help someone, not to fix, but how to help someone with the speck in their eye until we've actually experienced what it's like for someone to come and carefully and lovingly and compassionately remove with gentle hands the log from our own eye. It's kind of like when you're trying to express your pain to someone and they tell you, I know exactly how you feel. And you're like, no, you haven't. You haven't been through what I've gone through. You haven't done the work that I've done. You don't know what it's like to be me. But you certainly do have a log in your own eye. Jesus is saying this, and it seems like he's saying it to everybody in the crowd. This seems to be a universal experience. But here's something that's so interesting about when Jesus says log. Now, for the most part, when we read our English translations, it's just fine. Like, don't feel like the Bible is a code and you have to crack it. But sometimes the Greek will reveal to us an even deeper meaning. And this is one of those situations. When Jesus says log, he says this word, dokos. Everybody say dokos. And a log to Jesus, the dokos, was an actual foundational beam. Beam, not a bean. <laughs> That'd be weird. A beam. A foundational beam of a home. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that the thing that's making you a hypocrite 
is that you have built your home, you have built your life on a foundational beam, on a, I did it again, on a foundational beam that is frustrating, manipulating, and deceiving the way that you see the world. You have a foundational beam that has gotten in the way for you to see real life. You've built your life on something and you're telling yourself, this is what's gonna make my life solid. This is what I built everything on. But that's actually the thing that's stopping you from seeing real life. It's hypocrisy. It's also imposter syndrome. It's pretending. I don't have a log. This is good. I need this. But of course it's not. I'm just really curious. Is there something in your life that like, maybe you're not being honest about right now? And when I say that, I don't mean what's your secret habit. What I'm saying is, is there something in your life that you're not being honest about because you're afraid what other people would think if they found out about it? Like, is there something about you that you think is just flawed and wrong? It could never be redeemed. Like when you look in the mirror, we've asked this question before, what do you see? And what are you trying to hide? It's this common experience. When people walk up to the mirror, we try to even change what we see, don't we? And I don't think I'm the only one who does this. You walk up to a mirror and you even change the way you walk up to the mirror so that you see yourself in a different light and a different angle. And it's the last angle that you see before you walk away like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> You're not laughing at me, are you? You're laughing with me. Like, that's common. Please tell me that's common. I just exposed myself. <laughs> what's your foundation? What is it? Like, what's, what's the truth about you? Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said, there is something that will set you free from those feelings, from the desire to be an actor, to pretend your way through life. And it's funny, it's not the rules will set you free. It's not behavior will set you free. It's not memorization will set you free. It's not Bible studies will set you free. It's not perfect attendance will set you free. Do you know what he said? He said, the truth. Ooh, Bible scholars in the house. The truth will set you free. Go ahead and fill in that blank. The truth will set you free. Turn to the person next to you and say, the truth is good enough. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, it would seem, according to statistics, that 82% of us don't believe that the truth is good enough. When I was growing up, think like six or seven-year-old Danny, first grade Danny. I did not lack confidence like a lot of first graders don't lack confidence. And when we'd sit at our dinner table every single night with our family, my parents would always ask, how was your day? How was your day? Now, being a little overly confident, sometimes I may have exaggerated how my day went. So one time my parents asked, how was your day? What did you do? And it happened to be the day when we ran the mile at school. Remember the mile in elementary, you get the butterflies for it, then you go run it. Then afterwards, like you really think, I think I set a world record. So I'd be sitting down with my family around table. So how was your day? How, what did you do? And I told them, mom, dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm the fastest kid alive. <laughs> I know I'm six, but next week they're gonna have me run with the sixth graders. It's just incredible. I think I ran that mile in two minutes. It's a world record. My parents had something that they would also say to us. Whenever we'd answer about maybe doing something wrong, 
whenever we'd answer about how a test went, whenever we would answer about how a project was going, whenever we'd answer about how our friendships were, they would say, hey, remember, the truth is good enough. Turn to the person next to you again and say, the truth is good enough. (laughs) The truth is good enough. You worship a God who knows the truth about you. In Psalm 139, it says, God knows the inner delicate parts of your being. He knows what hurts. He knows what's okay. He knows what's thriving. He knows what's just surviving. He knows all of it. And then at the end of Psalm 139, it says, and still you're with me when I wake up. You know everything about me and you're not going anywhere. What is God trying to compel us to do? What's God trying to persuade us with? I believe God is trying to persuade us to say, I can be your foundation. I know the truth about you and you don't have to wear masks. You don't have to walk on stilts. You don't have to continue to build your life on shaky foundations that aren't lasting, that don't stay consistent. Because in a world where you change, in a world where you have inconsistencies, in a world where it's so tempting to be a hypocrite, in a world where it's so hard to have integrity, God is saying to us, I can be your foundation. I'll be there for you. I won't leave. I love you. I know the truth about you and I love you. So here's the question. What is your foundation? One of the most tempting things in my life is to make my foundation anything other than God. What is your foundation? Here's some ways that we can test to find out what is our foundation. A good question to ask ourselves is if we're looking at something in our life and it's starting to feel like it's a little bit too important, it's starting to become a little bit too much of our identity, we can ask this question. If I lost, fill in the blank, whatever it is, would I still be me? I mean, really, what's the most important thing in the world to you? What is it? What's the thing that if you lost, you don't feel like you could still be you? Is it your major? Is it your future? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your friends? Is it your status? What is it? For so many of us, we think that our foundations are found at the mountaintops of life, don't we? Think about it like this. So, like, I think that chalkboards are cooler than than just posters. So we're we're doing chalkboards tonight, and I, I couldn't find my poster board. So we sometimes think that foundations are found at the top of a mountain, right? And we all want mountaintop experiences. Like, this this is what we want. But here's the interesting thing. Just look at the top of a mountain. Does that look like a foundation? Of course not. It looks like something we would trip and fall off of. But that's difficult because the mountaintop is where we get the things that we want, right? So again, what is it at the top of your mountain? I could have planned this better and gotten an easel, but we're just going to go ahead and do this. So what is it? I think that for a lot of us, like, let's just be totally real. Money would be at the top of our mountain. For a lot of us, it would be status. For a lot of us, it would be romance. You're just going to have to trust me. That's what this stuff says. What, 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 what would it be for you? Is it money? Is it status? Is it romance? Is it someday having a job? Is it someday having power? The truth is that sometimes the things that are at the top of this mountain are really, really good things, right? So like, for example, rules. Like, okay, for the top of the mountain, for me, like some of us, it's like, okay, well, I really want to be a good religious person. I want to be a very, very good Christian. So the mountaintop would be if I perfected the law, if I perfected rules, if I never did anything wrong. What is it for you? I mean, my goodness, maybe at the top of the mountain, it's a reputation. There's nothing wrong with a reputation. 
but what's what we want. I've got to climb there and I've got to get there. But there's something about the top of a mountain. It's beautiful and it is glorious and there are some really wonderful sights and there's nothing wrong with anything at the top of this mountain. But there's no oxygen up there, is there? Has anybody here ever been to the top of a mountain? When I was living in Colorado, many of you, awesome. When I was living in Colorado, they had this thing called 14ers, right? And a 14ers, when you get to the top of a mountain and you're above 14,000 feet altitude. And they tell you that you can be up there for about an hour, but then it's time to come back down because you'll start losing oxygen and you'll start saying really silly and weird things. You're starting to die. <laughs> We're not supposed to live up there. Like, yes, mountaintop experiences are nice and fun, and there's nothing inherently wrong about them, but real life happens down here. Like, we think the greatness of life, everything that I've ever wanted is up here, but there's no room for a foundation up here. And I think that is totally consistent with the character of Jesus. Read this in Philippians chapter 2. What was Jesus' mountaintop? Divinity. He's God. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, he gave up his divine privileges He took on the humble position of a slave and he was born a human being. There's like a parallel passage to this in John chapter 13. It's one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. We're going into these because I want you to see that these themes exist. The stories that Jesus tells, they're consistent with his entire life. So in John chapter 13, it's one of the most famous stories. Jesus is about to wash his disciples' feet. And it said, he got up from the table. He got up from his place, his spot his mountaintop. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus had the mountaintop. But where does Jesus live his life? Jesus, excuse me for a second, you'll see it in just a moment. (laughs) I know how to spell Jesus. (laughs) Jesus lives his life down at the bottom. Like, this is where real life happens. Like, for Jesus, he could have stayed at the mountaintop. He's God. He doesn't actually need oxygen. But he puts on human flesh, and he comes to live where real life happens. He comes to live where our hearts exist, not the parts that we play. Now, this is totally shocking about Jesus. Do you know this about Jesus? He's a total conundrum. You know what a conundrum is? A conundrum is like a contradiction. A conundrum is something that doesn't seem like it could exist within itself. And and that's exactly what Jesus was. Jesus is a conundrum because for one, Jesus claimed to be God. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus said it, man. I don't know why I'm having you all call each other man tonight. I just, (laughs) we got started there. Jesus made it very clear. Like he wanted people to know, I'm God. Here are just like a few examples of it, just specifically in the book of John. Um, Spend your time seeking eternal life that the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Before Abraham even was born, I am. That's Jesus saying, I am. I've always been. I am God. I'm eternal. Jesus said, it's my Father who will glorify me. You say he is our God. Jesus saying, I'm the Son of God. At the end there, there's someone who said, my Lord and my God. It's one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas. And Jesus didn't say, get up. Don't call me that. He said, stay there. Yes, that's exactly who I am. Jesus claimed to be God. He had the right to the mountaintop. And yet here's the conundrum. Jesus claimed to be God, but he acted like a servant. Highest claims, 
with the lowest of behavior. The God who wouldn't stay on the mountaintop. Theologians have talked for a long time about what this could possibly mean. And I think that it's really interesting. So many of them come to the same conclusion. The first thing is that rationally, Jesus is the son of God. Emotionally, he's beautiful. He's the son of God. He claims it. But if he just claims to be the son of God, but he doesn't act like a servant, then he's just another tyrant. He's just another dictator. He's just another wannabe who needs power. And if he's just a servant, but doesn't make the claims, well, then he's just another moral example. But he did claim to be God. And he did act like a servant. You have a God with all the power and greatness that is experienced on a mountaintop. But in the conundrum of Jesus, he brings it down to earth. He is beautiful in the most lovely way. What drives him? What brings him? Why does he come down to the foundations of the earth on his knees, washing the feet of his dirty disciples? It's his perfect love. Jesus is powered by perfect love. Turn to the person next to you and say, perfect love. First John chapter four talks about perfect love. And what it is to say is that in perfect love, there is no fear because when you know that you're loved, you could take off the mask. When you know that you're loved, you don't have to become something to get something. When you know that you're loved, you know that your relationship with God is an experience of grace, a free gift. Jesus had perfect love and we see it in John chapter 13 when he's washing the feet of his disciples. It said Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew what was going to happen to him. Think about who's at the table, right? Judas is at the table. Judas is the guy who sold Jesus for 30 silver coins. Mind you, that wasn't like a huge fortune or anything. Jesus is sitting at the table of a man who's going to get him killed. And there is nothing in the text that tells us that when he got to Judas, Jesus said, nope, not you, next one. Jesus is washing the feet of a man who is about to get him killed. Peter is sitting at that table. And Peter was about to go around and just tell everybody, I don't know him. Peter was supposed to be Jesus' best friend. And the text says nothing of Jesus skipping Peter when he washes feet. I mean, my goodness, how rock solid, how secure is Jesus to know who he is, living, capable to live at the mountaintop, but coming down to wash the feet of imperfect people. It's only perfect love that could do this. This is what he has always done. It finishes that by saying he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. So now he loved them to the very end. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had simply always loved them, so he was going to continue to love them. It means that Jesus has always loved you, and so he's going to continue to love you. It means that despite our inconsistencies, despite our lack of integrity, despite our hypocrisy, Jesus says, you are lovable. I can't tell you how many times I have heard it said in Christian circles, the gospel is that you are so much worse than you dare to believe, but God loves you more anyway. I'm sorry, but I strongly disagree. 
Because think about it like this. I know that our sin is more complicated than we want to give it credit for. And I know that each of us is probably more sinful than we actually want to believe. I know that. But what's worse? Believing that you make mistakes or believing that the person who you really are is unlovable. I disagree. The gospel tells us that you are loved, period. You probably think you're way worse than you are because you think you're unlovable. And that's way worse than thinking I make mistakes. It's way worse than thinking I'm a sinner, to think I'm valueless, to think that God wouldn't come for me, to think that I don't have purpose down here, to think that I'm not his purpose, to think that I'm a lost cause. The gospel is that you are loved. C.S. Lewis wrote about it like this. When Jesus died, he is simply doing that in the wild weather, the world, down where the people live, where hearts really exist, not where parts are played. He did that in the wild weather, which he had done at home forever. Jesus has simply always loved. You are not his foundation. He is our foundation. In the book of Hebrews, it says this. This is Jesus saying this. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And this is another one of those places where it's really, really cool to look into the Greek. Because here's what it looks like in Greek. Can we read this together? (laughs) I'm so dumb. (laughs) Ume se ano ud. Ume se encantale. Encantalipo. Sorry. Got to get my eyes checked. There's a speck. I highlighted five words there. Each one of them means never. In the English, we just get, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Do you know what it actually said? I will never, ever ever, ever, ever leave you. I am consistent. He is the most, in, he has more integrity. How do you, he's the most integrous, integritous? He has more integrity than any being that has ever existed. He will never, ever, ever, ever ever leave you. The only way he can do that is if he goes beneath us on his knees, washing our feet. So hear this, the never changing Jesus, which means the Jesus of integrity, consistent, is ever changing me. Would you say that with me? And you can ignore the part in the parentheses The never-changing Jesus is ever-changing me. He doesn't change, and because he doesn't change, he is the teacher that we get to become more and more like. He's rock solid. He's consistent. He's got integrity. And so I don't really have like three practical points for you to do this week because I don't think that would show much integrity for this story, because it's not about what you do. It is simply this, Jesus knows me, 
Jesus loves me. This is the truth. And the truth is good enough. Would you say that with me? Jesus knows me. Jesus loves me. This is the truth. And the truth is good enough. The truth is good enough and the truth is better than anything that's at the top of the mountain. This will fix the way that we truly see the world. This will change our perspective. This will take that log, that foundational beam out of our eye that has been deceiving and manipulating the way that we see and understand this world. We've been seeing the world like this. The mountaintop experiences are up here and I, I, I live down here. Can we change our perspective? Can we see the way the world that can we see the world the way that God really wanted it to be? Do you remember like fourth grade math? Like, yeah, those things might be at the mountaintop, but Jesus is greater than it all. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd get it. <laughs> he is greater. I, I mean, you guys, I hope that each one of you has so many mountaintop experiences, but way more than that, I hope that you remember that foundations aren't built at the top of mountains. Foundations, foundations are at the base of the mountain. Our foundation is Jesus. Jesus is a conundrum and you get to be a conundrum too. Go ahead, make the highest claim you've ever made in your life. You're a child of God. Would you say that? I'm a child of God. Say it again. You're a child of God. And you follow the God who came down where hearts live, not where parts play. Follow him. Live in perfect love and share perfect love. It says this in Ephesians, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone. The foundation is Jesus himself. He's your foundation. He is never changing, but he is ever changing us. He is greater than any mountaintop experience we could look for because foundations aren't found on the mountaintop. Foundations are found at the bottom where Jesus came to meet us. You are loved. You're loved. You're not worse than you think you are. You're loved. Consistently, with integrity, undivided forever. He will never, ever, 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 ever leave you.